Hi everyone, my name is Kieran Hargroves and I'm the Director of Alumni and Community Engagement here at UWA and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to today's webinar. It's the tradition of the University of Western Australia to acknowledge the custodians and traditional owners of the land on which our campuses are located. At the main campus, Crawley, the University acknowledges the Wajak Noongar people as the traditional owners of the land on which it is situated. The Wajak Noongar remain the spiritual and cultural custodians of their land and continue to practice their values, languages, beliefs and knowledge. Innovation and entrepreneurship are becoming synonymous with UWA. IQX, Venture and Bloom, just to name a few, are connecting students, researchers, alumni and industry with the university. Today's webinar is an example of helping reconnect alumni with the university and I truly hope you find it valuable. As COVID restrictions have eased and borders are now open, we're really hoping to come to the US in 2023. So I look forward to connecting with alumni in person then. But for now, we hope you really enjoy this online experience with this amazing panel of graduates. I'll now turn things over to Dr. James Kelly, CEO of QChange and our UWA alumni network leader in the US who will guide this evening's conversation. James, over to you. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate the introduction and I appreciate being here. Uh, you know, in this role, and, and I'm looking forward to having just an amazing conversation today. You know, the goal of today's conversation for those in the panel and really those listening today is, is really predicated on learning and curiosity. So uh, for myself, I have a PhD in consumer psychology. I graduated from UWA, I think around 2010 um, and spent nearly 12 years in academia. I finished my academic career in 2020, living just outside Dubai with my family of six, moved back to Bend, Oregon and started QChange. And just from a quick summary, QChange really is an end-to-end -end solution that measures soft skill at scale using Microsoft Teams. So we really make the impossible possible. So with that, I wanna welcome our panels. I wanna welcome Ken Watson, Jacqueline Bennett, Harry Dixon, and most importantly, Nicole Bray. Thank you all for being here today. How is everyone? You can all just say yes really quick if you want. Good, bad? We're great. Doing great, thank you. Hey, oh, just one at a time, everybody. Come on, what are you doing? All right, so um, <laughs> so what Get I'm going to do today is we're going to I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Um, as I noted in the pre, you know, these are all curiosity. There's no right or wrong. And what I love about this opportunity is that for everyone to learn from us and hopefully from each other in this whole thing. So to launch this panel, what I really want to quickly do is if everyone can give me a 30 second to a minute introduction and I'll call out the name who goes first. We're gonna start with Nicole, just a quick introduction. If you could you know, give us the insight of when you graduated UWA as well, that'd be helpful. Sure, um, so uh, my name's Nicole Bray. Um, I graduated from UWA in 2002 with a BCom B Arts. Um, I did my final year at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, which is about two hours south of Chicago. Um, and uh, I am the founder of Mercer Contemporary. We're an art advisory um, appraisal and uh, legacy planning firm based in Manhattan. Um, so we work with uh, private art collectors, helping them build, deaccession, manage, um, and uh, you know, in, and be good custodians of their art collections. Um, I live in New York. Um, I'm a boy mom. I have a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and they are delicious, but high energy. 
Um, and uh, I, prior to starting my business, actually, um, I worked for 13 years in global wow. advertising um, in uh, London, Los Angeles, and New York. So quickly, 30 it. seconds, high point for living in New York. Oh, Pick one thing, high point, go. What? The people. The people, the people. awesome. The people, awesome. They're the, All right. they're the smartest people on earth. <laughs> Thank you for that. We're gonna move next to Jack. Is it Jacqueline, Jackie? Which one can I call you? Uh, I go with Jacqueline. All right, Jacqueline. I like the professionalism of that. Jacqueline, oh, 30 Jack. seconds. Or Jack. <laughs> yeah, just Jackie just is, is not a fit for me for some reason. Uh, 30 seconds. So um, Jacqueline Bennett, I, am, I graduated in 2004. I've been living in New York for 11 years now. Um, I moved to the US in 2008. My journey, uh, for lack of a better word, has been sort of traversing the globe east. And I started my career in merchant banking in Sydney. I was in San Francisco working for a venture-backed tech travel early stage company that was eventually acquired. New York Business School, I uh, went to NYU and then six years on Wall Street. And for probably five and a half of those years, I was ready to um, deploy, I guess, what I've learned and how I was feeling into something that I really cared about and to be more entrepreneurial, but not for entrepreneurial's sake, ended up discovering the cannabis industry through my role at JP Morgan. And it's sort of been um, all roads have led there ever since. And it's turned into something very different to, than just this sort of emerging category. It's really something that is, I feel very, it's an important thing to contribute to the world. So I'm a co-founder managing partner of Highlands Venture Partners, which is an investment and advisory firm. We uh, have seven portfolio companies ranging from a tech, a biotech Israeli uh, company to a cannabis premium brand in California. And then I'm also the chief growth officer of a brand called Commons, which is a peer-to-peer -peer model, um, starting with CBD products and trying to just spread health and wealth to the world. Well, thank you for that quick question to you as well. High point of living in New York? It's energy. It's the stimulation I crave. Yeah, that's sure. awesome. Fantastic. Uh, now we're going to go uh, age before beauty. Hen Harry, you're up next. <laughs> Thanks, James. Um, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, sorry for my voice a bit husky. I uh, went to the wedding and lost it over the weekend. But um, yeah, myself personally, I graduated in 14. Um, I did Bachelor of Commerce, Bachelor of Economics. Uh, I've lived in the US for seven years. So I moved pretty swiftly after graduating, uh, worked in consulting, um, at a venture capital fund um, and a couple of tech companies. And now most recently founded Checkmate actually uh, three um, other UWA uh, alumni. So it's been pretty awesome um, ride. And so what Checkmate does, we're a personalized smart shopping tool that aggregates and streamlines online purchases uh, while helping you save. So what that really means is that we've built a, a platform, an app and a Chrome extension that aggregates all your packages into one. We pull coupons from your email um, as well as the web. We automatically apply them at checkout um, and we've introduced concepts such as like a digital wallet, store gift cards and, and a wish list to, to buy things later. So we really want to be an end-to-end -end shopping experience. Um, and yeah, recently 
which we haven't really announced, but I guess I'll give you the, the tidbit here. Um, just got some funding from investors like uh, Joe Montana, the quarterback for the, for, the, for the 49ers, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who founded DreamWorks, uh, Susan Ventures, Fuel Capital. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. So awesome. my co-founders are in the, in the next room and I'm pretty proud to be UWA alumni. But yeah, I'm waiting to see me. the champagne squirts coming across the screen in celebration. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure I would, if you see him running behind, um, <laughs> that would be them pulling my leg. So now you, you, I know several of you live both in San Francisco and New York, but I'm going to ask you, which one's better, San Francisco or New York? Uh, very different. New York, there's so much energy. Uh, I mean, you can do anything at any time of the day or night. Uh, San Francisco for, you know, the purpose of founding a company was, you know, the technical hotbed. So really appreciate both. Um, also, you know, you can't really, well, I don't really surf in New York. And, and so I miss that. But honestly, both incredible cities. That was a great tightrope walking session right there. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine, finally, thank, thanks for being here, Harry. Uh, Ken, you're up. Ken Watson, please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Ken Watson. I uh, graduated with a Bachelor of Engineering. Uh, it says here 1996. Seems like many, many decades ago, but uh, I guess that's about right. Uh, don't feel that old. Uh, so I started off in what was then Pricewaterhouse in Perth and went to Sydney with them. And then from Sydney, I um, joined Microsoft. I had an 11-year career at Microsoft. It spanned um, Sydney, uh, went to London with them, ran a business out of London, then went to Redmond, the headquarters, and I was the uh, release manager for Visual Studio Platform. So I did some, some proper engineering. Both my sisters are oil and gas engineers. They call that proper engineering. But uh, I figured by the time I had 1,500 engineers del delivering software, we kind of closely approximated proper engineering. Um, left Microsoft to form my uh, first big proper startup, um, my wife and co-founder, Agnes, she's amazing. Uh, she had a, a career in banking, ended up in investor relations at Microsoft because there was no real banking there. And she was like, oh, there's all the software's no good. We could do better. And so we'd, we'd spend evenings with like mock-ups on our study and at home, figuring out what this new product would look like. And, and uh, at one point, we just said, you know what, let's bite the bullet and go uh, start our, our own um, investor relations uh, product company. We did that, uh, built that for two or three years, sold it to the Toronto Stock Exchange. I ended up working there for a couple of years, helped them build that business out. And I got, uh, went over to another big fintech in New York. Sorry, this got me from Seattle to New York. And I got a fintech in New York called uh, MyPrio. Um, they did um, all IPOs and all basically the new issuance part of the capital markets. Like when an asset comes to life for the first time, that on-ramp to, uh, to the markets, um, the software that orchestrates that across all the market participants is typically uh, most of the transactions go across software by iPrio. iPrio uh, then got bought by IHS Market, which just got bought by S&P Global. I was the CTO there at, uh, at iPrio, we had about 750 engineers and um, we, did some, we did some fun stuff. Then um, I ended up at, uh, a few years later, I ended up at WeWork. Uh, I spent a few, uh, spent about almost a year doing the heady times with Adam Newman. And then I was part of the executive that kind of got the ship right and uh, sailing in the direction of profitability before I left uh, last August. And I'm now uh, full-time on uh, another startup, also with Agnes, my, my partner in crime. And this one is called Stock Perks. And what we're about is helping listed companies engage their retail investors. And so we do that through providing, uh, with, in partnership with the companies, provide perks that uh, retail investors. So for example, you own stock, you can go to the app, get a perk, loyalty for owning stock but for the companies it's all about the engagement because there's so many retail investors on the market today 
and um, their companies, strangely, have no way to engage with them. And so this yeah. is all about. Well, I got to tell you, I got a long way to go to, to do something important in my life. Holy cow, you guys are impressive. I, I do have to ask you the one question there, Ken. Uh, high point for you. And I'm going to ask you a different question. Uh, favorite city thus far you've lived in? Well, I mean, this is a little salty, but it's, it's where your family is, right? The favorite city is kind ah. of the key. That's the real answer. But I get the most, I get the most kind of energy uh, out of New York. I just, I never get bored of walking up and down yeah. the city. And just, uh, you know, you can just do that forever and just always be stimulated. It's great. If I was given a word for best answer already, seeing where your family is probably wins straight off the top. So well done there. Yeah. <laughs> They're listening in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd like to do, thank you guys. And again, thank you for being here. What I'd like to do is we're going to move on. I'm going to ask some questions. And I want to start with Nicole. And we can go around the horn. Uh, again, please add your value if you're curious about Nicole's answer or vice versa. So, all right. Every entrepreneur is unique in their journey. But one thing, one thing they all have in common is the ability to absorb risk. So can you share a short story on a moment you realize the reward of taking the risk out, outweighed the actual risk itself? So kind of that balance mm -hmm. of reward with risk. Reward with. Sure. And sure, it's, it's actually kind of a very personal story. Um, you know, I, I kind of like to you know, personally kind of live through the mantra of leap and the net will appear, right? Because I think if, you know, fear drives our decisions, nothing gets done. Um, you know, I had a, a very successful advertising career. Um, you know, I got to kind of live that life of, um, you know, being in a different country every week and, you know, earning great money and, and all of that. Um, but, I just, I was not fulfilled and um, it was not kind of where I saw my life going and it just, uh, it was, it was kind of crushing me. So I was living in a, a fancy one bedroom apartment in Tribeca, which, you know, to everyone who like, you know, lives in a four bedroom house, like they're probably like, what? But like, it was nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I just, you know, one night just decided, like, I can't do this anymore. And um, at that point, I uh, started taking the steps to enroll into grad school. I was in my early 30s at the time. Um, and uh, I had to give up my fancy apartment. I moved to uh, Williamsburg. I got uh, three roommates and I spent the next two years in the most expensive city in, in the world, one of, um, as a student. Um, so, you know, the ability to just give up everything for something that you love, um, I think that was, uh, you know, one of, one of those moments where I was like, I have to accept this risk. I have to see where this goes. And I have to trust that, I have to trust myself that in the end, this is going to work out because it's something that I truly love. And this is kind of where I envision my life going. Is, um, is there an innate then, quality that, is there an innate quality for you as, if you were to define a quality about you in that, because I find that really interesting, right? Where mm -hmm. you're basically saying hell with it. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go to like share my accommodation and I'm going to kind of go to square one. What is it mm -hmm. internally that gave you the strength to do that? You know, I, uh, 
I've always had a really incredible work ethic. And, you know, I kind of had those moments working in advertising where, you know, I would win $5 million worth of new business and they, I would get a pizza party. And I was like, you know what, if I take my creativity, my strategy, my, my strategic thinking and my work ethic and put that into my own company, that $5 million could be mine. So that, I don't, I don't really know how you, uh, describe that uh, guess it's tenacity and like self-worth as well it also so. sounds it sounds to me it's actually um the notion of faith and trust in your own ability like you're backing yourself right, right. right? like you're backing yourself exactly exactly and yeah. you know if you fast forward to five years coming out of grad school i was earning more money than what i was when mm. i left grad school and working like 10 to four most days. So, and and doing something that I love. So, you know, it's really kind of, I've really transformed my mindset um, in terms of uh, work smarter, not harder. Um, Because trust me, I did that and (laughs) it didn't work. So, you know, and this is one of the brilliant things of, you know, owning your own business is that you get to decide the the workflow, you get to decide the type of people you want to surround yourself with. And I'm sure we're going to get onto that. But um, so, but, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a big risk of just, you know, I, I feel like I pivoted before pivoting was a thing <laughs> <laughs> so you're a trendsetter so so what i like let's pivot to he- speaking of pivot let's pivot to harry because i think what's interesting is the, the dichotomy of where you're at in your lives so for you harry when you think about your journey um can you kind of share a short story of the moment you realized the reward outweighed the risk for you to be an entrepreneur yeah definitely i mean like uh i mean yeah i think about like risk a number of ways like obviously there's a financial side where like giving up you know a job that normally is secure it sounds like everyone on this panel at least background had some security um so there is that um but reward is like you know it can be viewed a number of different ways which is intrinsic as in you know going out and earning earning that or you know it could also be you know something um, or extrinsic and then more intrinsic where you you value you know solving problems so I think like I got to a point where um, I don't know a lot of the things I was working on. I really wanted to put that all into use, and the only way I could kind of find an outlet was doing it myself. And so I just kind of love innovation, and I, I love following tech news and cool things that people are building. So that's really where I wanted to swing for the fences, and um, you know, sacrificing that financial security um, and really just kind of build something that hopefully people want um, and is cool. So um that's where i think about yeah. it that it, it's problem solving um and then you know being entrepreneurial and and the way that the venture system is, is structured in the us is hopefully uh the monetary comes with with the wins um <laughs> so i won't discount it but um solving solving cool problems yeah. is something so, that um so i'm actually curious though harry would your is there a variable that would change your calculation on risk uh yeah i mean like there is time and energy spent definitely i mean um i think about like there's two sides of it in entrepreneurship there's a great book called traction um and so when they define a startup it's about high growth 
So you can have a, you know, you can be an entrepreneur, but you know, you can run a single, you know, business in a hometown that's still entrepreneurial. Um, the way that I define it is really high growth. So I want to make kind of a widespread impact. So I think if the levers changed in that respect where, you know, it wasn't as widely adopted or a smaller market, um, I would re kind of jigger my factor of risk. I would probably, you know, look for more security. Um, yeah. at least in terms of conversation, um, that, you know, you have to support your day to day. That's awesome. Thank you, Jackie. Yeah, Jackie, I want to call you Jackie. And I know that's not even it. Jacqueline. Um, it's, it's surprising. It's like Australia shortens everything. So anyhow, Jacqueline, uh, how I about gave you? you I gave you Jack. I gave you Jack. I know, I know no, you even shortened it. You even took another letter <laughs> out of it too. Sorry. Totally. Um, so how about you? Where was that line of when you decided the reward versus risk was worth being an entrepreneur? So I think if I'm, my disposition has always been pretty risk tolerant. So I sort of reflect now um, and think about some of the decisions I made without really blinking an eyelid. And I have, so I, I wonder if I, you know, sitting and talking with people who have fear or have that um, uh, play out those worst case scenarios when they're making a really big decision, I just don't have that. And it's, um, you know, I've been at big institutions, I've left, I've um, been at startups and then gone, you know, moved to New York, went to business school, same thing as Nicole, like had all the, um, had a life that many people would desire. And I just needed to keep going. It's that insatiable thirst for more and expansion. And also knowing that you're, you want to be, you, you have this energy that you want to put towards something that you actually care about. And I think Nicole yeah. said something similar. And that's been a real a constant conflict for me that I will show up no matter what I'm doing with the same tenacity and the same commitment. And eventually you are giving that away. And yeah. uh, there's a moment where it's just like, I need to be doing something that is purposeful so I've been, I guess, the entrepreneur within the organization, you know, that's a bit of a cliche statement and pushing boundaries. And I think when I moved into the cannabis industry, I, it was a very heartfelt decision. There was a, you know, it, it was something that really I connected with and I had to leave at that point. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I felt like I had to um, share the clarity that I was seeing um, in, in that role and then ended up pivoting from there and actually getting into an even better situation where now I feel like I am, if I, if you believe in manifestation, it's like attracted all the things that I, uh, a lot of the things that I care about. So if it, it really is like being this perpetual entrepreneur seeker, um, the curious yeah. element, and then also, and getting to an age where you, you value your time. Yeah. a lot more and so if i'm going to be working with that same enthusiasm then i need to be really enjoying it and surrounding myself yeah. with people who um who i thrive with yeah so what i love about that and i was thinking about this question and i know that um you know jacqueline i don't i'm not sure about your relational situation but i know at least with nicole and ken they're married have kids so Ken, this, this is for you, and I know anyone probably can answer this in their own in their own context. How did you weigh the reward risk with a family 
in, in tow. And I, I can speak from my calculations when I've done it as well with four kids. So I have you know, a different level of risk reward as well. But I'm curious to get your take on it from that standpoint, from some of the big companies you've worked with, you know, again, similar to Nicole, he's, you know, and Jacqueline for that matter, these big global companies. How did you, I guess you and your wife make that calculation? So I, get, there's, I think a few things go into it, James. We've got four kids also. And so um, and <laughs> we, we added a couple um, during one of our startups. Um, so we had a, um, um, we have, so I, I frame everything through the lens of adventure, right? So the, it's, it's all about how do we think about what we're doing, how we're spending our time, and are we doing things with people, you know, we want to be with, to, to what Jack was just saying, and now are we doing things that, you know, bring us joy and, and you know, create that kind of sense of wonder and adventure you get out of making your way through life. And so for me, I find that through entrepreneurship, I find that in my personal life as well, and I've sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. I've done a bunch of other things that are, you know, not not uh, not the sort of thing you wake up and do most mornings. And um, and so I think entrepreneurship allows us to to kind of seek out that adventure. Now, one of the things I find also is it pertains to the family unit because Agnes and I have been co-founders in a couple of these. Um, you know, we our uh, objectives and our tolerance for risk necessarily gets very aligned very quickly. And so, you know, we, we both understand what the, you know, the outcome is. We both have a lot of detail in terms of the decision-making that we're making to take the risk. And uh, we, we both understand the upsides and the downsides and we're, we're holding hands as we go and do it. So metaphorically and, and sometimes literally. So yes. that is, uh, that's the approach that we take and that has worked well for us. And, you know, we've had uh, our second startup together, but we've also actually worked together in professional capacities as well. And so we, we have that uh, very good working relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I recently asked my wife to help us and join us as well. And, and I don't know if anyone gets that look, but I always get the look like, uh-oh, uh-oh, like the panic button of like, you're working with your spouse or your partner. And, um, you know, at least from what it sounds like with you, Ken, I know it's similar to me, I don't have any problems with it. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, I think the hardest part is finding the line when not to talk about it, <laughs> to be honest, that's probably the hardest point part is when do you shut that off um, with your spouse? So I want to kind of move on to the next question. I'm going to start with Harry in this question. Um, and so, you know, the word success, we kind of touched upon that a second ago, Harry, the word success is loaded to me. Uh, it can carry a thousand different meanings depending on the stage of life you're at, you know, uh, where you live, the company you keep in terms of your friends and family. So how do you define success? And, you know, as I noted, you've spent time on both coasts. So do you see a difference in how success is defined on both coasts? So how do you define it? And do you see it differently? Yeah, happy to feel that. Um, yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, success is, yeah, very loaded um, in, in that respect. I kind of think about it in, I guess, work um, and then personal life, but also like from other people's perspective, um, when you go and leave, like I said, a stable job to go pursue something that is highly um risky and you know my failing and, and all those things um you might be perceived um as not very successful or you know have it looming over your head so um it's pretty tough um in that respect so you know where i find some some joy in in success is just you know i'm very experiential driven um you know just working with like good people is is successful um so i think that if you're constantly learning um you know i've feel successful in that regard. Um, you know, I don't know if Checkmate is gonna be um, successful. Um, we'll, we'll sure hope to, to try and make it successful, but 
you know, I'm sure as I come away from working with Rory Elliott and Cody that, you know, I want to work with them again. So, you know, that, that feels successful in, in my opinion. Um, and then yeah. I guess to the second part on the coast to coast side, um, realistically, I, you know, San Francisco is very, well, LA, I lived in, in both. It's a very, very weird place because, you know, some of the most financially successful people I met walked into a room barefoot. And uh, in New York, um, because it's kind of born from from advertising and banking and things like that, it's a little bit more formal. So um, I think people value a lot more uh, material items. So, you know, I've only been in New York six or seven months, so I can't comment as long as the other panel um, on the on the that bit, but I've just noticed from the external part. But for me internally, success is, is you know, yeah. been the same. Jackie, how about Don't you? Don't worry, I've met, yeah. I've met plenty of billionaires who rock into the auctions at Sotheby's in a pair of shorts and flip-flops, so <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> yeah. well, Harry, uh, I, walked home, I walked home barefoot the other night from Soho. Uh, not the other night, the other day. Um, it was a shoe situation, but I was, yeah. I was representing. <laughs> yeah. I was tell more about this, do you tell more about the shoe situation? <laughs> It was just, it was, I misjudged. There weren't good, good walking shoes and the pain was too much. So yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, Jack, in terms of you've been on both sides as well at different times. Do you think success is defined differently on coast to coast? Yeah, uh, I do for sure. It's, it, there are parallels though. Um, sure. I mean, you're talking about LA is very different. San Francisco, San Francisco being yeah. Silicon Valley. I found when I first moved to San Francisco in 2008, I was blown away by the how singular the conversation was. Every it was just people just wanted to know what the next Google was going to be and what the next unicorn, and it was very transactional in nature. And um, I, you know, have met wonderful people, had a great lifestyle and life. When I arrived in New York, even though there is that. Uh, I guess there's a there's a harsh element to it just because people are very determined, but in a in an honest way. And so I think here there is, I mean, it, it's expensive to exist here. I think you need to create, um, you know, like space or getting out of town or things like that. So to actually have balance in this city, you do feel like you need to be a certain level of I guess economic support, mm-hmm. um, but I think there is much more diversity here. So you're you can be a you know a, a, a busker or a whatever your profession is, but you can find your community. And I think that's what's really special about this city is it is infinite in uh, experiences and people. Yeah, that's great. I love that, um, Ken. I'm curious about how you. I mean, I kind of got a sense already, but I'd be interested to see how you define success for yourself you know and it's it clearly it seems like it's not gonna be monetarily it's gonna be experiential but i just that's what it would seem like to me no i think you've got it james it's experiential i mean obviously the the, the money helps with the experiences and uh, keep <laughs> the on the door and as you know four kids can be very expensive but um you know it's it's the got to look back and enjoy the journey and you've got to enjoy the, the people you've done it with and you've got to find joy in, in, in what you're doing so i think that's you know, here's the thing about entrepreneurship, right? Is that you, you have if, to be successful, you're taking something that starts off as a blank bit of paper, 
it's 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 nothing and you're creating something out of nothing and and there's no shortcuts you've got it just takes every waking moment and if you don't have the passion and the drive and the kind of the real kind of just fundamental interest in what you're doing you're probably not going to it's going to be it's going to be hard, it's hard enough as it is without having all those elements as well so you know i think success requires that you know, for me success requires that you know the journey is interesting i think that's a really important element of being an entrepreneur is that you that commitment is uh what what will not only keep you going but is an essential ingredient to uh the, the ultimate success so Nicole, I want to niche down a little bit for you because you know you have this unique experience around the art world, right? And I'm always yeah. kind of curious, you know, in my head because I am totally ignorant around it. Success to me is always around the value of the art you're selling, but I feel like it'd be so much more than that than than just that key metric. So for you and yeah, your career, I mean, how do you define success? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I really uh, come at the art world from a art historical standpoint. You know, I was obsessed with history um, in high school through university. Um, and then I did my master's, I went to grad school and uh, did my master's in art history. So coming at the art world from an art historical context is really, um, is really what kind of drives me. Um, and, you know, yes, selling a Picasso is wonderful. I mean, it, it makes it kind of nice at the end of the day, but that doesn't happen every week. You know, I'd like for it to, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, being able to discover those um, underrepresented or overlooked artists, um, you know, in the art world, you know, has been, getting better at um you know recognizing you know artists of color and um women who um were not given their dues back in the day so being able to support those types of artists is um in incredibly fulfilling for me um and you know support their careers especially the ones that are still living um and helping them get their recognition um so you know it, look success you know everyone defines success differently and um as uh ken said it's like if you're starting your own business you and you know the foundations of entrepreneurship you're going to hit the lowest of lows and the highest of highs and you have to be able to stick in stick with it you know um and and really do and and, and find what find that fire that drives you to wake up and keep doing what you're doing every day. So, and also it's like, people are gonna recognize that passion and and feel like it and, and, and see it as being far more authentic than, you know, someone who's just looking to close a deal. So I, so I was thinking about the, the answers you've all given and I'm really curious and anyone can just chime in here. How important is it for you in the journey of an entrepreneurship to celebrate the, the simplest and smallest successes along the way? Well, this is funny, James. I, I've been talking about this recently. It's, it's, I think it's a, 
an essential part of entrepreneurs that we take the the smallest signal of success <laughs> and it gets us out of bed in the morning it's like oh oh i got this great bit of feedback or or i got this uh, this customer reached out to me i didn't have to reach out to them or you know <laughs> and i think it's particularly in the early stage where you're 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 uh, you don't have the the gross metrics of or perhaps of revenue or 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 and the more traditional ways of measuring business success uh, you kind of pathological in terms of looking for anything that looks positive. To kind of look <laughs> yeah, I'm so there right now. In my, and where we're at in our journey is that every time someone reaches out, it's like a high five and run around the neighborhood screaming type of moment because um, it means you're doing something. Well, and the thing is that this is we can contrast with how you would operate in a large enterprise or any kind of you know established business, where necessarily you don't get to celebrate. You don't even just get to celebrate for doing something. You get to celebrate because you did something and it moved the needle on something that was important. You measured the output, the outcome of what you've done. So very mature businesses, you don't, you don't get, you don't get to do it that way. You have to, yeah. you know, have to be much more disciplined on the outputs. But for entrepreneurs, we, we have to cut ourselves some slack. Do you guys? Do the other three of you agree with that? That little tiny. Yeah, I just want to do a bit of the shout out Rory Gartan Smith, my co-founder who also went to UWA. He um, is our number one hype man. And so <laughs> we have a, a progressive board that when we take off, you know, like PR pushes or things like that from a coding standpoint, that it's all hyped. You know, we want to celebrate it. Um, he even bought us little mementos like the, the Super Bowl rings that you might see professional athletes have. But it's a checkmate ring and it's silly things like that that creates culture um and it you know it keeps us getting up like you said james so um yeah i need to need to celebrate those little wins which we're, we're definitely in the trenches so yeah um you got to have some fun while you're doing it I, I could ask actually a thousand questions about this because i you know for us our team is all um second career you know i'm i'm the youngest and i'm 47 on my team so like the the mentality is so slightly shifted around success and the, the hype man, we, we don't have a hype man, but it makes you wonder if we shouldn't be hiring 25 to 30 year olds to get the hype going. You know, we're all so practical about it and almost methodical at times. Okay, we've done it. Check the box. Go. Um, I want to I want to pivot a little bit. And you know, I think we can all agree that as an entrepreneur, you're only as successful, not only as your family support, typically in your in your nucleus, whatever you call family, but the team you hire. So I want to start with with Jack in this question. And, and, and so there's a saying in the startup world, and I, I've kind of made this up a little bit, I think, so it's my saying probably more than anything else, but it's, it's hire smart, fire fast. So can you share a story about a time you built a successful team and what made you think and made you believe that it was successful? It's literally what I was talking about probably an hour ago. Um, there, it's, it's an interesting balance, particularly at the early stages of a company when you have owners and then you have employees who are taking a, a similar risk in terms of you don't know if this company is going to actually work or not. Um, so the figuring out how to incentivize people at that early stage when their alternative is going to a large institution where there's perks and support and training and development and all those sorts of things. Um, I think the hiring slow and firing fast is a really good rule to live by but i mean i i feel i spend a lot of time with my my team meaning probably preempting too often that this is going to happen so let me get ahead of it so that person doesn't feel bad or like we, we can prepare and plan or whatever um 
And recently I was blindsided by someone who I'd spent a lot of time with. I consider myself to like not to be a pretty good judge of character and was, was quite incorrect. Um, so I think the, you just have to accept that everyone is transient. Um, you have to accept yourself that you are dispensable unless of, of course it's your, your business. And, um, but understand that it is the most important thing. So don't spend time up front and then red flags are red flags and culture is everything. Like carry that, um, what did you call the person? The hype man? Yeah. Those sorts of things yeah. are, you know, like who plays what role to create that sort of 360 experience in the workplace is really critical, but find your people when you have the ability to, which goes away pretty quickly after your first 10 employees. So how did you deal with that, that shock to the system moment of, yeah. What was your first response? Actually, what was your initial response? I was actually sitting right here and I was pleased. I think I had seen, I was coming from the other end, which was also recognizing it wasn't the right fit. So very measured, very measured and, and yeah. probably to a, to a degree that uh, was disappointing to the other person because hoping for a little bit more of a reaction. But I think it's just straight into problem solving mode. So the next, I was on the phone with the recruiter after we hung up and actually we ended up getting this incredible person. Um, it's been a, a, a real blessing for sure. Changed actually the direction of the company. So it all works out. That, that message yeah. is definitely needs to be reinforced. And just um, the lack of, like nothing is static and, and people are people are people. Yeah. So um, just, just a quick flag um, for the audience, please submit your Q&A questions in the Q&A box. If you have any questions, we'll do our best to answer that. Um, Nicole, I'm curious about you and your perspective in terms of what does that look like? Because you, again, have such a variety of experience from these big corporate world to this, this mm -hmm. small ecosystem. Mm. I mean, it's just... Uh my kind of general philosophy throughout my entire career has been to hire people smarter than myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in my company right now, so we are, you know, we're a, a very uh, small dynamic team. Um, I hired the uh, director of the contemporary art program that I went through in grad school. So I hired the person who founded it. <laughs> as one of my directors, I hired the manager, the sales manager did, uh, comes from uh, Christie's, did five years at the Met in the Costume Institute. She like directly worked with Anna Wintour. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you can come work for me. Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. <laughs> um, so just, you know, in, I, I've never been threatened by people who are uh, incredibly smart, if anything, I want them more um, because, you know, rising tides lift all boats. Yes. So, you know, and for, for me, it's, you know, I'm sure this goes for all businesses, but, um, you know, the people that you surround yourself with and your clients are impressed by that. They love that. And it reflects on you and your business. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've, uh, I only had to fire a few people in my lifetime, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, 
<laughs> we all saw it coming when it happened. Yeah. So. It sounds, it sounds like, you know, for your instance, it's very much your network is the best resource of the talent to surround yourself with for you. Yeah. I mean, my business is all about relationships. Yeah. Um, so you have to surround yourself by, with, with people who are, are um, very discreet, who mm. um, uh, present well, who are articulate, you know, that, you know, can, you know, really kind of represent you. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any, you know, coders in the back room. Everyone is, <laughs> you know, people facing, yeah. so, or client facing. So, um, so yeah, I, so, you know, I, I, again, I've been pretty lucky. I would fail at the discrete part. I feel okay about the other two parts, but the discrete part, I'd be really bad at. Uh, so oh, I'm, I'm curious. you have to keep your mouth shut in this world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would be, I'd just be awful at that probably. Uh, Ken, how about you? You again, you another, you're another individual who's had this really historic career in big companies in fast growth startups and in these tiny teams, you know, how are you, def how are you looking at the, really the success of the team and what that looks like? And do you have a, I mean, maybe a side question. Do you have a philosophy of how you comprise the team? So oh, clearly, and it sounds pithy, but it is the most important thing, you know, for any, particularly a small stage startup, because it's a, it has a, there's no, there's no kind of um, averaging out. Yeah, everyone has such a sized uh, impact in terms of how things go for your company. Um, I I like to um, so I've done a ton of hiring um, in my career, and and I the, the best people I. Pull, pull teams now. I get to. I have the great luxury of being able to pull a team together based on people I've worked with before, and I love working with them. They 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 seem to like working with me. Okay, and so put that together, and you end up that trust in place. You understand what motivates them, and you understand um, you know, uh, and they they trust in you to do things which are going to help them grow as an individual and um, and the sorts of successes they're looking for. So I but at the at the end of the day, you know, we've had I've had some. I had a, on one of my earlier startups, we had a, um, you know, speaking about firing fast, we had a, a co-founder issue. And this was like, you know, this is a, 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 back when we weren't quite as wise as we are now, we didn't have everything locked in in terms of paperwork and this person wasn't pulling their weight. And there was, they were, they were, um, you know, we were all full-time and they were not, and they just, were, it was just an awful situation. And, you know, I think really the key thing to do is, you know, my advice is, as you put teams together, perhaps founding teams together, there's they're kind of have all the awkward conversations as early as you can. Think about all the different scenarios. What if this? What is that? You know, uh, you know what 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 seems fair, and then get it all locked down and all documented in a way that nobody feels like they're going to be hard done by when something unexpected happens. And it's all set out. It's about setting expectations for that for that founding team. Um, and you know, the, and the more you can put into making sure you all feel aligned. And actually, I, I did that with the, the second startup. And what we found is by having the awkward conversations early, you end up kind of learning a lot more about the person and their motivation. And it uh, really helps uh, with the cohesiveness of, of bringing the team together. But, Do you have an yeah. example of a, a question that could be awkward? Uh, what happens if you don't leave your job and come and work in, in, in the company full time, right? Or, or, yeah. or what happens if you have a, a disagreement and and you know we, we we can't agree on what's the right path forward for the company? Uh, or, or what happens if 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 one of us doesn't feel like the other one's you know uh, delivering on what they said they could do? 
you know, those are you know not not fun conversations to have when you're trying to build rapport, but really important ones. And I think if you can get into this having that kind of frank conversation with a co, gosh, these are actually probably some of the easier things you're going to have to deal with when yeah. you're together. So you might as well have, have started some practice when you, when you first get yeah. started. Thanks for that. So we got a question from the audience, but I'm going to actually let Harry answer first, and then I'm going to actually ask the question to you guys from the audience. So Harry, you're you're in this phase of, of, of pretty rapid growth right now. You've just acquired some funds, really exciting times, right? You got a little bit of freedom to hire some pieces that you need. So you're kind of in the throes of it right now of trying to build up a team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hiring is interesting. Um, and who do you want to fire? That's it. Who do you want to fire? That's around you now. Just, just get it out of the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, uh, I definitely think they're going to keep them on a short leash. Uh, very, very short. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I'll probably, you know, filled it from um, some interesting learning. So I uh, joined two, I'll call different size startups. So I joined Skyrise. I was one of the first business hires. It's an autonomous helicopter company. Um, they pivoted from consumer, but to B2B. So I ended up hiring about 70 people. Um, and then I joined EasyPost, which is about to IPO. It's a multi-carrier shipping API. And so um, both different experiences, but um, I'll talk about the one at EasyPost where it started COVID and uh, everyone didn't know what was going to happen. So there was layoffs. And so layoffs um, rocked most companies, but we did a perpetual rolling every week uh, for what, what was probably, I think, 10 to 12 weeks of people slowly being let go. And so the company was about 400 people at the time, um, went down to about 200. So um, it was just, it, it was soul crushing for culture. Obviously um, I made it through. Um, and I, I ultimately think the company is actually better for it on the other side. But when you talk about firing fast, it was, it was pretty soul shattering. So I think that's something to avoid at all costs. Um, and that's kind of, you know, my two cents that I think you take learnings from, you know, all different facets of life. So yeah, I definitely, hopefully we'll never have to lay off people. Um, <laughs> but you know, in that take, take those learnings of being direct, honest and, and clear about, yeah. Um, why, why are you doing it in those reasons? I often find, uh, in not all cases, but in, in most cases, when you approach someone to, to say, hey, it's time to move on, they're typically fairly aware of themselves already. You know, like they know they're not a fit or they know that they're not happy there. Um, typically the writing's on the wall. My, my brother-in-law worked for a company that was definitely a pandemic boom company. Got a bunch of money, hired a ton, went up to like a hundred, a little over, and within literally seven months, they're down to 15. And he was, he just got laid off and he was the director of creative for this company. And he thought he was kind of safe because it's a director level position. It's a creative company gone. So it's one of those uh, unfortunate stories in the pandemic of like, Hey, we're good. We're bad, you know, type of thing. So let me go to the question that we've got from the audience. So there's been a few, there's been a few descriptive words given about California and New York. So what about Perth? You know, what were your reasons to leave Perth? And if you were to stay, what would make you stay in Perth or come back to Perth? Would you come back to Perth? Maybe no one would come back to Perth, which is also sad. <laughs> Who wants to jump in on that one? I can jump in. I actually ended up going back to Perth for, so I left Perth in 2000 and right after I graduated 2004. Um, it is a spectacular city and place in the world. Like it's a, it really, I find it difficult to 
to capture it when I'm describing it to people, just the quality of food, the, um, the you know, lifestyle, it's easy, all those types of things. I think for me, it's again, uh, the same answer as the willingness to take risks, just that need to, for, for constant expansion and uh, different dialogue and seeing different things and, and different uh, cultures, I guess. So maybe as I energetically slow down and am able to sit in one place, Perth is the place to sit if you want to sit somewhere for a really long time. Um, <laughs> and the fact that I know it's there and it's always available, but I always had a calling to be in New York even before I'd ever visited. So does anyone else have any aspirations to move back at some point? Uh, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I've maybe fielding it from someone without kids or things like that. Um, people in the US describe it if you're a lifer or not. Um, I think it's an interesting period because, you know, seven years in to the US journey, um, starting this company kind of signs you on for a few more. But, you know, we've committed um, as Checkmate, Elliot, actually one of the co-founders lives in Perth. And so he's here in the US for, you know, an offsite. And we're very flexible um, in terms of remote work it is great. So I think some of the allure of Perth definitely um, holds true. Um, as Jack said, um, I, I miss a lot from home. I just think like the opportunity in terms of market, um, the way people treat growth, especially in entre entrepreneurship is, is second to none in the US. So it's really hard to have realistic conversation with, you know, even an Australian market size of 20, 25 million people where, if you're sitting in California, they have twice to three times as many people um, in that one state, let alone the whole U.S. So yeah, I had it's, um, it's a bit hard. I had a conversation with someone who had moved to, I believe it was L.A. or San Fran from, I think it was Sydney. I can't remember the exact city. But he said, you know, he felt like he had to get out of Australia because of the tall poppy syndrome. And he felt like every time he started to stick out above, above the crowd, somebody around would try to bring him back down. And he kind of mm -hmm. just felt like in the U.S., there's a there's a ecosystem philosophy belief that anyone can pull themselves up with their bootstraps and bring themselves above the rest and he just feels yeah. like here's a much better place to be an entrepreneur overall not only financially and market size but but just as a career in, in essence an ethos i don't know if you felt the same way and we're gonna run out of time so we gotta be short if you have any comments on <laughs> this. Sorry. I, th I think it's you I know think the world's changing, though. sorry you go ahead and help Oh, I mean, just very quickly. I mean, when I graduated, when I was at UWA, I really felt like, you know, my only options uh, were to be, uh, to go, to be a lawyer, to be an engineer, to be an accountant, or to go into academia. Like, I, I didn't, like, there wasn't even the concept to me that there was, you know, an art world. Um, and, you know, no one I knew was going to even work in like advertising agencies or things like that. So, you know, for me, I, I just, I didn't feel like there was those opportunities at that time. Um, so, but, you know, I love Perth, like my family's there, you know, I love taking my kids back there to, to visit, but, you know, I'm kind of 23 year, 20, 20 years out now. Yeah. 20, 21 years out. And yeah, it, it would be, it would probably be a, a good shock to the system, but um, I can't see it happening anytime right now. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that. It's great. So just remember, if anyone have any questions, please put them in the Q and A. Um, 
I do want to ask one more question before we bring uh, Chloe Bolin, who's the director of venture at the Student Innovation Center. So we're all connected by UWA. That's kind of our connection here. So we're here today because of our connection. So what advice would you give a student looking to start a business today from, from UWA? And I'll, I'll start this question with Ken. Uh, be passionate about what you're doing. I think and you probably picked up the advice throughout throughout the course of that, but you've got to be passionate about what you're doing because it's going to it's going to consume everything. It's going to, you're going to make you know personal and you know financial trade offs against against this endeavor, and so you want to have a lot of passion and um, and that's going to be an essential ingredient to be able to get yourself up in the morning and dedicate you know all your waking hours to something and, and then yeah. go ahead and dream about it that that, that, that night yeah. before you then do it again. <laughs> yeah, Jack, how about you? I, I, I kind of echo Ken's comments. I think it it's this idea of your why that makes the hard times and the struggles really, um, I think, manageable. And there are many moments where you can opt out and you are really, I mean, it, it is, it's a hustle, it's a true hustle. So I think that um, maintaining perspective is really important, like figure out what your uh, your rituals are and surround yourself with people uh, who you really want to do it with. And if you are lucky enough to find great partners, then hang on to them because it's really uh, wonderful to have an ally in the, the business world when you're doing something really tough, which is, you know, building a business is a, it's many years of commitment, but it's definitely a lot of fun. And how about you, uh, Nicole? Um, you know, I, I just to kind of build off the, the question that came in the Q and A. Um, you know that we we live we now live in such a global economy, and everyone can work remotely and you know network from afar. You know that didn't exist when I was at UWA. You know, I have a friend who her husband and her he is. Uh, the um, CMO of a major gaming company in the US and she just founded a web three company in the US, but they live in Brisbane. So, you know, they just fly back and forth. So, you know, if, you know, if you're graduating from UWA and you're in Perth and you're thinking, well, I'm in Perth, maybe I need to be somewhere else. Not necessarily because of the way in which the world has transformed, particularly since the pandemic, where everyone was forced to, you know, figure out how to work in unison, you know, away from each other. So that's really a great insight. I like that. Um, Harry, how about you? Yeah, I mean, echoing everyone, I think networking, um, you know, really underpins it, you know, like I'm working with three UWA um, UWA, um, I guess colleagues now. Um, so I think that's hugely important. Um, one thing, you know, more to the student side, uh, is get hard skills. So it's very easy to be passionate, um, about different things. Um, I think something that, uh, people might not want to hear is actually going to a really good test bed. So, um, if you go to a KPMG or you go to anywhere or somewhere that you can get in, to a really good, hard skilled place, even though you're hungry for entrepreneurship, I think um, you'll learn out a lot and come out on, on the other side a lot better. And kind of why I put that um, into kind of a framework, I guess one of my mentors at one point, he's a general partner at Venrock, 
Um, he kind of boils it down to four things. So when he's looking for an investment, it's markets, are they big enough? Uh, the technical risks, can it truly exist? You know, we're not creating teleportation or something. The people um, and then execution. And so the top three are what they want to essentially de-risk and then execution is where they're putting their bet. So in that people category, I think you really want to make sure that you have those hard skills and then, you know, you'll grow over time with, with soft. So that's how I think about it. Just, yeah, build your tool belt. Well, I want to I want to say thank you to Ken, Nicole, Jack, and Harry. You know, my two cents on entrepreneurship is really simple. Um, bet on yourself. Be okay with failure. Pick yourself back up and look for the next day because you're going to fail at some point along that journey. But the failure is not defining in a negative sense. It's defining only in the positive if you put the frame around it in the right way. So with that, I want to say thank you to everybody. I want to bring Chloe Bolin. Um, again, as the director of venture at the Student Innovation Center to, to share her wisdom. And I thank you to everybody again in the UWA community. Thank you. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much. Gosh, we are so excited to have listened to that, talking about the power of networks, about finding your people, about community, and that getting some real world experience. Um, and just kind of leaning into that blowing up traditional career paths um, that UWS students may have traditionally kind of funneled themselves into. This is also inspiring for us. We've had a fantastic morning listening to you all. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for having us as well. So uh, yes, I'm the Associate Director of Venture, the Student Innovation Centre, and I've had the fantastic opportunity to be working on this since 2020. Beside me is Elise Anthony. Um, Elise is our student leader and chair of Venture. So who better to tell you all about who we are and what we do? Yeah, look, so thank you for having us this morning. Um, and I just want to echo what Chloe said. It's been really inspiring to listen to you all. Um, but yes, Venture. So we are the UWA Student Guild's Innovation Department. Um, and we provide students with practical hands-on innovation opportunities. Now, I recognise that I've just said a whole bunch of buzzwords. So I want to break that down. Um, and I really, again, want to echo what Nicole was saying about how students feel that when they graduate, they've got to follow this sort of traditional career path, become a, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer. Um, we really want to show students that there is so much more to life and to your career than that, if that's something that you want to pursue. Um, but we're up against a bit of a problem. And that is that we have students coming to us and they, they feel that they're learning knowledge from their degree, but they're lacking certain skills to enter into the workforce. Um, those are skills like networking, like building a personal brand, um, organisational skills. So we at Venture exist to really help students develop those soft skills, you could call them, so that they're ready to enter into the workplace. And we do that by developing the innovative mindset. Um, so we provide students with a couple of different opportunities. The first is our entrepreneurial support branch. So if a student's got a business idea that they're working on or they want to start a business, we provide them with the support to do that. Then we also provide students with what we call um, innovation opportunities. So these are sort of intensive internships, we sort of call them. Um, but students go into an industry and they are presented with a problem to solve and they do that with um, a group of other fellow UWA students. And again, that's to really help develop some of those soft skills that they're going to need once they enter um, industry. So we were, we're pretty new. We were founded in 2020, but um, we've had some fantastic achievements since then. So we've supported over 50 student entrepreneurs. We've led design thinking workshops for over 200 high school students, helping to prepare them for their transition from high school into university. 
Um, we've got some fantastic industry partners. So we partnered with Dell, who has fitted out our co-working space with some great monitors. Um, we've partnered with the likes of Impact Seed, uh, the WA Institute of Sport. And I'm so excited to announce that we have just launched UWA's first incubator. Um, it's been a lot of work over the past couple of months, but it's now basically up and running. Um, we're going to be launching our pilot program in June of this year. We're running eight teams of students through that pilot, and we're going to take them from idea right through to being able to pitch um, for investment in November. So we're so excited to see um, where the rest of this year takes us. Um, I'm going to pass it to Chloe. He's yeah. going to talk a bit about what we would like from the wider community. Yeah, so as you can tell by how amazing Elise is, um, none of this would be possible without our students. We have a team of 14 students working on the committee, plus all the teams that we support, uh, student-led teams that we support. But none of it would be possible without our volunteers. So we have Josh Van Ross, who's our entrepreneur in residence. Josh recently lit up the skies in Perth, um, which hopefully by the time we're finished with the Perth ecosystem, maybe everyone that was on the panel will want to come back here and enjoy the thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem in Perth. Um, but Josh lit up our skies a couple of weeks ago and he very kindly offers his advice um, and guidance to some of the teams that go through um, venture. Um, so what we're looking for from you is time, expertise, wisdom. If you want to run us a workshop to develop soft skills in some of those kind of real future of work, skill sets, problem solving, innovation. Um, if you want to mentor one of our entrepreneurship teams that are going through, one of our founding teams that are coming through the, the system, that'd be great. If you just want to share your story, um, that would be great too. So um, I think you'll receive probably an EOI from um, Josh Van Campen at some point and UWA alumni um, who have been fantastic supporters of us. Um, and please reach out on LinkedIn, follow Venture, connect with me um, and any opportunity to kind of share your skill set with our current students would be amazing. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you.